Valentina Bazzarin is a clinical psychologist from the University of Bologna. She now works as a freelance analyst, strategist, consultant, and external expert. She has a multidisciplinary background and a transdisciplinary approach to research and data management. This, she told me, is in part because she had the fortune to study communication in a program that was established by Umberto Eco. Her research interests are on data feminism and data-driven public policies. Recently, she founded a think tank period, the first feminist think tank in Italy, promoting advocacy actions and represents women as a lobby. She also teaches public and data ethics at different levels in education. She is part of the group of founders of the Community of Open Education Italy, and she is a supporter and a testimonial of several open education and open science activities. If that is not enough, Valentina produces since 2018 a weekly radio program called Eco Etico. As we can see from her short biography, Valentina has a truly multidisciplinary and transdisciplinary way of thinking, knowing and working. She does so many things and I'm very, very curious to know more about how she approaches ethical issues in the world of data and data-driven systems. So please join me in our latest episode for Understanding Data, Praxis and Politics. Valentina Bazzarin is with us. We're starting our podcast today and I'm going to leave you, Valentina, um, to introduce yourself because I'm sure that you will do that much better than I can do it. So welcome to our podcast, Valentina. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. E buongiorno a tutte e a tutti. Let's speak in Italian for a bit uh, because, of, uh, first of all, I am Italian. And uh, so I apologize for the mistakes I can do speaking in English. That is not my native language. And um, in a few words, uh, I am a researcher, even if I don't work uh, in the academy anymore. Uh, after 10 years of uh, research in the academy, I decided to quit. And now I am an independent researcher working mainly with um, uh, NGOs uh, and uh, uh, civil society association um, and uh, doing some uh, active research, action research uh, with women and uh, um, adolescents. The topic of my research now uh, moved to uh, data feminism after years working in uh, um, data ethics. Uh, we are going, I guess, to speak a bit about uh, this feminism and what uh, it implies in terms of uh, education or of uh, um, uh, critical thinking uh, related to uh, interdisciplinarity and uh, uh, the needs in the world of uh, um, a new approach to develop new knowledge uh, in uh, uh, this society. So I hope uh, this short intro introduction is uh, clear. Uh, in my background, actually, uh, I am a cognitive psychologist, but uh, I explored uh, many other different fields. I worked in the Department of Political Sciences, uh, in the Department of uh, um, Tourism Economy, and now I teach to American students cognitive psychology as professor. 
Thank you, uh, Valentina. Thank you very much for your introduction. And I think it's fascinating to have you here because well, I was when I was reading um, your biography, I was thinking it is an advantage because you have your PhD in cognitive psychology. And I think it is an advantage to know the psychology very well in order to then work as a researcher with human beings, of course, and women in particular. So I was just wondering, um, in, your, in your biography, you said um, that you have a multidisciplinary um, kind of approach and transdisciplinary as well. So you have a multidisciplinary um, education or um, kind of mindset or way of looking into the world, but then you have a transdisciplinary approach. And I wonder myself how these two things, which I consider are very, very, very important in order to have a broader vision of the world of data, how does that shape your work? How, how the transdisciplinarity and the multidisciplinarity, how does that shape the work you do with data feminism and data ethics? I'm, I'm interested in that. Yeah, uh, my first main uh, challenge when I was a student was uh, to uh, be in a course funded by Umberto Eco that was uh, pushing us uh, a lot uh, in being uh, uh, multidisciplinary and uh, curious and uh, try to find our own uh, um, way uh, in exploring uh, uh, the relevant topics uh, relevant for us topics in uh, different uh, uh, disciplines. So uh, it was a challenge for me as a student and I try to use uh, this uh, big challenge when I start uh, a relationship with the students that as I said, are students of uh, different age in different courses. So I need to find a common starting point and uh, usually I start with uh, this uh, uh, big challenge. So uh, starting from uh, what you know, that could be uh, whatever, uh, something uh, that, uh, for instance, I don't know, I'm not an expert in, but you are an expert, or at least uh, you want to be <laughs> an expert, uh, would like to be an expert uh, in the near future. Um, so uh, I started with this question, which is your expertise, which is uh, your interest, which is your curiosity? And the second question that I use to apply this uh, transdisciplinary approach is, uh, which are your values? Because the ending point of all my classes is to base, um, to ground what we have done in your knowledge, but also because of, I teach ethics mainly, um, or the arrival point is ethics. So starting from your knowledge and ending to uh, find a, a place of your knowledge inside your system of values. So the second question is always, okay, which are, how many and uh, which are your values? And uh, some of them could be values that are um, arriving or from uh, your cultural background. Some of them are totally personal and individual. So I'm not discussing about your values. Uh, values. I'm just asking to my students to map knowledge and values and during the class and during the course or during the time I have with them, uh, we start a journey, we start a travel uh, between these two points to find a way to uh, put them in a, a connection. 
So this is what I do in all the courses. And this is the approach uh, in few words that I apply uh, with my students. That's wonderful. And, and when you say that you teach data ethics and this approach that you have about the knowledge that they would like to learn and the values by which they guide their life, if you wish, how your how how data feminism or the work with data ethics how does that fit within that how do you so what's kind of I'm, I'm wondering how your what is your approach to teach data ethics given the beautiful exercise that you just described about mapping your values but also being attentive and aware of what do you want to learn and so where does then or how do you teach your data ethics within that frame I think I was wondering about that Yes, the premise is that data ethics, uh, it is uh, not a discipline yet. Uh, it is uh, something that we need uh, to discuss about. <laughs> so everyone, uh, uh, it is free to uh, read the uh, data ethics uh, in the way in which uh, it is uh, useful uh, or uh, thinking about data ethics in the specific uh, place in which they have to apply data ethics because data ethics could be just a set of rules uh, or, could, or guidelines, or could be an approach that, for instance, uh, we uh, have in uh, managing our own data, uh, or the way in which we are teaching uh, to a machine learning system, or uh, could be a, a way, um, the approach we apply when we have to manage the data uh, we collect uh, in our professional activity or in our research activity. So uh, data ethics, uh, it is uh, hard, but at the same time, uh, really um, uh, easy to teach because uh, it doesn't uh, uh, main writer or main uh, academic uh, thinkers that are telling you how to teach it. But at the same time, it is really hard because you have all you haven't all the pillars. Usually, you need to teach at least the main concepts you are required to teach when you are writing, for instance, a syllabus, and you have to to speak and to present what you are teaching in a course. So it is uh, nice uh, on one side, uh, really challenging on the other one. So <laughs> uh, this is the way in which I start all the conversation. Second thing, sorry if I interrupt you, uh, that you were asking something else. It is that uh, data ethics uh, could be really different uh, for humans and uh, for uh, machine learning systems. But we have something that is common, that is the life we are experiencing are a known life. So it is not totally separated in what we do online and what we do offline, yes. according to Floridi. But it is a life in which we are learning from our experience, we as humans are learning as from our experience in real life and online life, but also machine learning system and artificial intelligence systems is learning from what we do in our real life and also what we say and what we, the digital uh, prints 
we left, uh, we, uh, the digital yes, prints we left in our online life. So we have to discuss about data ethics mainly because we are um, living this time uh, helped by uh, artificial intelligence systems and the machine learning systems that are learning as we are from our own life. So uh, uh, it is important to understand which are uh, the boundaries, but also which are the freedoms we have inside this new space and with these new actors that we are interacting with. Yes, and, and, and I think there, there are two things here that are very important for, I think, our participants who are learning about data ethics and, and in general, the, the more critical approach to data. Um, you said something that I find really beautiful, which is that, and, and correct me if I understood it wrong, but I, I understood you said that machine learning and, and, and let's say artificial intelligence and the data-driven systems learn influenced by how we learn. So whatever the machine does is always something that we have designed them to do. They don't do stuff by themselves. They will, they will eventually, I think, um, you program the artificial intelligence um, system or, or um, service that you want, and they do with time learn so much that they could transform things. But I think what you're saying here is that any data-driven system doesn't it doesn't have a life on its own. We give them the life they have. And so I think here what you're saying, if I understand you well, the importance of living an ethical life more than, you know, I think sometimes it is it is what we do with our life has so much to do with what we want machines to do and how we, you know, how what our, our values, and, and here is what you're saying about the importance of mapping these values and being aware of our values. Um, and how, you know, whatever you your values are, that's what you will translate into the design you do if, if that is an artificial intelligence uh, driven solution or if you're selecting some data in order to do some, I don't know, whatever work you want to do. It's, I think the way in which you approach that, but the point I want to make here is the importance of data ethics, although it's not a subject in itself, um, but how important it is to make people aware that we have an influence in what the machines do is they don't do it themselves. So I think data ethics is more and more so important because we do have agency in what the machine will do. And, and so I think if we are aware of the ethics we need to, and this brings me to my other question. When you, 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 were, you, you, you are the founder of something called Think Tank. Period. Yes, period. Think Tank period. And you work with women particularly, right? You, you are, yeah. um, and I'm very interested in, in, in this, what you just told us about knowledge, values, data ethics, what are the things we need to be aware of when we are doing work with data? How your approach to data from a feminist perspective, how does that shape your work? And what do you do? Can you tell us a little bit about the think tank? What does it, 
what's what's the the what's what does it do and what's the you know the aim of it and and how do you came to create that and what's the role of it in your life and and I would say in the community where you are. Thanks for this question because uh, data feminism and uh, this think tank uh, it is uh, a, um, a project I care a lot and I think it is totally new. Uh, project like this in Europe, because uh, we started from the experience of the MIT and uh, reading a book and meeting two women, um, Lauren Klein and Catherine D'Ignazio, who brought uh, this uh, book that is uh, called uh, named Data Feminism, and it is uh, started to be translated uh, in many languages, but it is uh, already too late. Probably we need a new book uh, about this. And it is uh, in open access, so everyone can download it yeah. for free. Then uh, this is relevant and important to spread the new information and to spread the, the concept of data feminism. So this is why I am underlying that uh, the fact that uh, everyone can access it for free. Um, data feminism, it is uh, a need uh, the world uh, has now to um, uh, try to the redesign uh, all uh, the processes, but in particular, uh, the processes that are uh, affecting uh, technology. Uh, to change in terms of uh, uh, diversity and awareness. Diversity because uh, all the systems are male designed or designed by males. Uh, and uh, so uh, any machine learning system or artificial intelligence system that is learning from this world that is male designed is uh, uh, breeding and it is feeded by only male data, white male data. So uh, every system needs to embrace diversity. And the first diversity is to include gender data uh, I mean, data that are describing the world, uh, not only done, done and uh, um, uh, controlled by men, but a world in which, uh, uh, biology speaking, uh, there are at least two sexes, uh, okay. different sexes, uh, or more than one. That is actually our point, because we are not saying that everyone, everything it is a dichotomy, we say that uh, uh, there are at least more than one option. Yeah. Uh, so this is the first point. And this is uh, uh, related to the word uh, diversity and embrace diversity. And the second point, it is uh, what you said, awareness. Awareness that we are not living in a fair and equal, equal world. Uh, there are uh, uh, discriminations. And uh, there are bias uh, that are uh, driving uh, these uh, discriminations. And we have uh, to fight, okay, against the discrimination, but we have uh, to fight before against uh, this bias. Bias uh, that are uh, um, historical bias. And so uh, to uh, obtain equity, we need uh, to uh, start uh, changing uh, the knowledge and uh, starting to uh, fr from the awareness that uh, this uh, world um, needs a real revolution, a revolution that is uh, um, bringing advantage for everyone and not only for women. 
So don't think that uh, being feminist means that uh, I want uh, to be uh, the alternative of a man. I'm not. Yeah, I'm yeah. not a, a man plus or a man minus something. <laughs> I am totally different in terms of um, uh, reading a different kind of uh, human being <laughs> in, in biological terms, but also with different needs, uh, with different premises, uh, a different uh, way in which I can see the world. And uh, this is something that makes me different, not better or worse. Yes, okay. uh, this is uh, the starting point of uh, uh, what is called the intersectional feminism and also uh, the starting point of data feminism, starting from the data, because everyone it is uh, described also by data in uh, this life, and uh, saying that the data should describe better uh, myself and uh, data uh, about myself uh, as a different per person has to be included in uh, what it is feeding the machine learning or what it is feeding the artificial intelligence systems. You said something when we had our first conversation that I noted down because I found it, I loved it. Um, and you said, we need better data because the effects of bad data are in the real world. And I find, oh, yeah. I find it really relevant. And I'm, I want to ask you from a really more pragmatic perspective, which of course if, is informed by your philosophy and your values, of course, which are by the way, really beautiful and, and, and I, I, I empathize with them very much. But how would you say we can create better data? What is it we need to do to create better data? And it's a big question, I know. But no, no, it is an easy one actually. Okay. It is a technical question, this one, yes. <laughs> that is, uh, uh, but uh, we needed the awareness that uh, we needed to ask also this technical question, because, uh, you know, think about vaccines and uh, uh, the way in which the uh, data are collecting about uh, the uh, effectiveness of uh, vaccines in the population. You know that, for instance, uh, the uh, population, uh, the sample on which these vaccines are uh, experimented is not balanced uh, in terms of uh, uh, the sex of uh, the participants uh, to the trials. No, I didn't know. And so, for instance, and do you know that for ethical reasons, of course, uh, these vaccines are not uh, um, uh, applied to pregnant women so actually, we don't know the effects in terms of trials of these vaccines uh, on pregnant women. So we have to say that pregnant women are not going to be vaccinated, not because we know that this is dangerous, but because of, of we have no data about the effects uh, of this kind of drugs on women. And this is true in medicine, also for treatments, uh, um, um, for uh, uh, surgeons, for instance. And uh, uh, it is well known since the beginning of uh, this century that there is a difference in the effects of medicines uh, among men and women in terms of sex. And uh, we are not aware of uh, the um, sites of this different effect because we haven't done all the uh, trials balancing the gender as a parameter 
to uh, find and to evaluate the different impact. So and this is related to what I said. We yeah. needed to redesign all the processes because, because they are male designed. I see what you and mean. This is one example. Yeah, so when you say that, I'm, I'm, I'm ignorant myself in the sense that I have maybe not done a lot of research in, as you have done, but I wonder what you're saying here is that maybe the trials and the information is male driven. So we have more data about male reaction, male, um, you know, um, inconvenience or because there are more males put forward to do the tests or to do that. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Mm. And uh, now in Europe, if you test something in Europe, you have to balance the sample more or less, or at least to um, say in an explicit way in the, the documents you uh, present uh, the number of people. And if you have evaluated as a variable that as a factor that is influencing uh, the effect or not the sex of the people you are uh, uh, testing with uh, a drug. While in other parts of the world, uh, this is not done yet. So if uh, we uh, use, for instance, a drug that is um, experimented or tested uh, with this uh, kind of guidelines that are uh, uh, data ethics guidelines yes. about uh, the sample, and the data you need to, and the way in which you need to analyze the data, uh, we actually don't know if they have different effects on the half of the population, because we are not speaking about a minority. Of course. We are speaking about more than half of the population. Mm. And this let me introduce another term that I need to uh, say now, that is uh, the kind of gender mainstream approach uh, we need to apply in uh, designing all the systems. Because we can't uh, avoid to uh, think and to say that uh, we have at least two uh, parts of the world, the women and the men. They are not separated, they collaborate, they interact and so on, but uh, individually speaking, the effects are uh, different of any decision. Of course. So uh, another thing uh, that is interesting in a book, I can show you the, the cover. I'm sorry, this is written only in Italian, so. <laughs> What's the title? Per, suol, per suo uomini. Stream from uh, scientific research and design. So this is a book uh, that uh, was written by two journalists, uh, scientific journalists, that are uh, collecting example of uh, male design of processes, and it is amazing reading it. But you have also another book that is similar in terms of examples uh, that is bringing that is Invisible Women, written by uh, Criado Perez. Yes. Uh, Yes, that is another book that is always in my book list for my students, suggested readings for my, for my students. And in this book written by uh, Emanuela Griglie, this one in Italian, and Guido Romeo, you have many examples of processes. And one that is interesting, it is uh, the first uh, space walk, only, walk only for uh, um, uh, women astronauts in the uh, U.S., 
that wasn't uh, uh, done yet because of the sweets that the women were supposed to uh, wear yeah. were too large. Yeah. So too big and designed for male ostrots. So yeah. uh, you can't think that the solution is just uh, adding more women in panels, in groups, in teams, uh, if you don't rethink the whole design of a whole project. And to redesign any process nowadays, you need to collect at the beginning the data. So when you start collecting the data, you have to ask yourself, uh, okay, the data I'm collecting uh, are gender data, are in some ways including at least, I, I repeat, these two uh, groups of people, are they balanced? And this is what we do with this think tank period. And this is why it is a think tank, because we suggest a different way of thinking processes and a different way to collect data. And we ask this question to uh, public companies, private companies, public institutions, schools, students, journalists, uh, who uh, is ready to listen to this question and to discuss with us about uh, this main question, how uh, the question is again, how we can redesign this world starting from collecting better data. Uh, it is uh, welcome to uh, meet us as a group uh, that is enlarging day by day, a uh, group of thinkers uh, from different disciplines that is uh, suggesting you uh, the right starting questions before uh, redesign the, uh, all the, pro the uh, processes. The processes, uh, because in, your in a way, I think what you're just saying again, and, and I repeat this because for people who work in the world of data, maybe it is obvious, but for those who are just kind of learning this um, from, yeah, maybe they're not very experienced. So in order to design these new processes, you need better data, which was my question originally. And the, and the better data really is a data that is balanced and a data that includes male and female, but maybe also transgender or binary, you know, whoever whoever we think could favor from the service. Um, but also, um, I was reading an example um, about a digital identity system that they are trying to implement in India, and in particular spaces in India. And um, that is the work of Lynette Taylor. She is working this data justice um, framework where she comes from the capability approach, which is lovely because I think that what it really does is and I'm thinking about your um, designing better processes, but in order to design these processes, I think we need to think what are the re what is the reality, what is the social reality, what are the constraints of people living in different spaces, and if I'm designing um, a digital identity system and I'm using fingerprint, for example, of one of these kind of um, processes, if you wish to recognize yourself, and if you have worked so um, with your hands so 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 i don't know what what's the word really so hard that your fingerprints are not anymore legible by the systems because you are you know your your hands are very rough then how many people are being excluded from the process of the because the digital identity it seems one of the things they want to do with it is to have a more just and quote and quote here um 
distribution of welfare, welfare. So if you want to distribute some kind of help with a digital identity, it's easier, quote unquote, again. But these people are being excluded from that process that has been designed from, you know, from a governmental perspective. And, and so I think that we really need to rethink so many things, you know, what and, and, you know, is the fingerprint the data we need or do we need another type of data to, to make them be part of the digital identity uh, population? So I think it's really important what you're bringing to the table and to the discussion. And, and I sometimes when I speak with you, and this is happening for me the second time, I feel a bit frustrated that I don't speak Italian because I would love to take an airplane, just go to this think tank period and be part of the of your working group because I think it's really interesting what you're proposing here. And this brings me to, I know you worked for the European Commission as well. You told me that um, and you, you were telling me, and I, want, I would like to bring this to the conversation, what's your work there and how do you see data ethics coming to the table and having some kind of practical and pragmatical um, outcomes in the daily life of people. So could you tell us a bit about that work that you do there and how? Yeah, I work uh, for the European Commission as external expert. I am part of uh, uh, different panels in which uh, the European Commission is inviting external experts uh, to discuss uh, or to evaluate uh, uh, not only projects, actually, also protocols. Uh, and uh, it is uh, mainly a place of discussion and a place in which, uh, personally, I learn a lot because, uh, you know, there is this activity that is uh, between the European Commission and the European Parliament, so the one that is uh, writing the laws uh, and uh, deciding which is the identity and the shaping and reshaping again every day uh, the identity of uh, this uh, um, uh, union that is done of uh, countries with different cultures <laughs> inside it. And uh, the European Parliament plus the European Commission are trying uh, to work together, uh, updating uh, day by day uh, the guidelines that uh, uh, the Commission has to apply, uh, to apply to evaluate, ethically speaking, all the projects and the proposals that are presented to obtain funds. Okay. And data feminism is coming again here because uh, this discussion uh, affected the new program that is starting in the uh, European Union that is not anymore Euro Euro Horizon 2020, it is uh, Horizon Europe. So again, we are shaping and reshaping the identity of this union, um, or as a union in which uh, gender data and uh, gender indicators are compulsory, for instance, to uh, at the beginning of any um, uh, request for funds. Because of the awareness that we need better data, it is an awareness that uh, political decision makers at the European level uh, achieved and uh, finally I can say yeah. uh, so um, uh, what I'm doing and what I'm learning at the European Commission is uh, to listen to think uh, to try to not uh, consider technology 
as a world apart from all the other discussion about politics or about environment or about, because I work mainly on projects that are in, uh, talking about data ethics. So we talk a lot about technology, but not in itself. We talk about uh, uh, technology and the impact that technology uh, has on other uh, different areas of uh, uh, fundings or uh, political uh, areas. So uh, the activity is uh, sometimes really high and uh, uh, done of thoughts, uh, discussion, uh, readings, uh, um, and sometimes really um, um, practical as I can say it, yeah. because we need to um, translate all these thoughts into a grid uh, that is a yes or no grid yeah. uh, and in some suggestion or requirements for uh, the uh, programs, protocols, proposals that are not uh, totally um, compliant with the guidelines we have uh, written uh, going down from the discussion we had in the panels. So it is uh, a, a great exercise every time yeah. because uh, we need, we, we think that most of the proponents are uh, uh, simply not aware of the uh, impact what they are suggesting to do had on uh, people. Yeah. And uh, in ethical terms, not because they are evil or because they are bad or they want to harm people, just because uh, it is not uh, uh, always applied, the critical approach and the critical thinking that is including uh, uh, the ethical issues yeah, in uh, the designing, uh, in, in the design of uh, uh, the proposal. And, and, you know, I think also that what happens in a way, I'm, I'm thinking historically here, because you said something I'm very interested, which is that technology should not be an external element. It should be, it's an, you have to integrate it because it's so ubiquitous. It's so always there and it guides so many decisions. And I think we tend to think about technology as a gadget or the watch or, you know, maybe, I don't know, the chip in the shoe or, I don't know, your fridge. But I think technology, artificial intelligence systems are technology in itself. They are. And 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 so I think that you you, you said something which is, I think, very important here is that the technology needs to be part of that. It's, it's, it's as you were talking about a, B, C, technology is D, and it's part of that conversation. It's not an afterthought. It's something that you should be integrating into the conversation, and I think that's really important. And, and when it, what I was thinking is also that the more complex humanity becomes, the more complex we think and the more um, technology is a product of that complexity. It's, it's an outcome of human thinking. And the more complex that, that outcome is, the more things we have to integrate in our conversation, isn't it? Because you're saying here that the processes need to be changed. So, and they need to be changed because the technology, in a way, is this what, what was first, the egg or the chicken? Um, but I think that it's, it's, not, it's, it's just this ongoing process that technology shapes humanity or society if we go smaller. But then these human beings in society need to reshape again that structure, which is technology. And, and that's then this ongoing process. And, and I think education, 
education, coming back to our participants and our educators that would like to know more, have an important role to play here. And, and I would like to close our conversation, although we would have material for a second podcast, because you also have um, a radio program, Eco Etico, which I would love to talk about. But I, I think, yeah, we need to come to a close. But um, what would be your advice for educators? How could you, you know, what is it that you would think in your experience, not only teaching, but, you know, being in the European Commission, having a think tank, having a, a, a radio program, you're such a holistic person, you're so, you know, I think you really, um, you have, um, not because you say it, but I think you live in a very holistic manner. And so you have this kind of different spaces in life where you do what you do. So from that perspective, and I think, <clears throat> sorry, it ties beautifully to our beginning of our conversation. I can see after talking with you how transdisciplinary comes in into, it has shaped your life in a way because it's the way you think. It's, it, it comes just into how you do things. But what is your advice for teachers? What would you think... Um, a good advice for them. I have two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have two <laughs> advices for them. One, be curious, like a kid, like a like a child, yeah. and ask always questions. This is just one, even if it is a two. But yeah. uh, be curious. Ask always question to yourself first of all. So what I'm doing, not with this tone of voice, just ask yourself, but which is the impact of what I'm doing. Second, that is related to this, uh, think that you are important uh, in the uh, people's life. So try to be relevant uh, in the best way you can. Uh, because uh, um, we all had educators in our life. Some of them shaped our uh, life. Uh, Echo, Berto Echo, for instance, was a person that is not just important for the world, it was important for me. Yeah. Uh, and I had, I was lucky, I had the opportunity to meet him in person and to meet him in person and uh, to listen to his lessons. But uh, even if uh, you uh, hadn't this opportunity, you can read what he left yeah. or uh, you can find your own Berto Echo in your life. Yes. Uh, that could be yeah. an educator, a teacher, and if you are an educator, a teacher, a parent, uh, you uh, you can try to be the uh, Umberto Echo for someone else. Yeah. So uh, this is my second advice. So everyone has uh, the opportunity to be uh, the person that is uh, shaping someone else's uh, future. Yes. And. Yes. Uh, this is uh, really important uh, to have in mind when uh, you are listening to their needs and uh, when you are uh, asking yourself uh, what I want, want to do with this uh, role in someone else's life. Yeah, and, and you know, I think here when you're saying being relevant, and I think this is really very a very good advice, and a very also it's a very it's a broad advice, but I think and I connect two things in our conversation, being relevant in how and just going to the world of data for a second, 
I think there is an interesting role to play with new processes and with new technologies. How can we be relevant in the process of creating better data? I think that is, you know, as teachers and we do research in social science methodology courses or, you know, or we're doing some research um, modules with our students. And I think there is a role there for us to question the data. What is the data we're doing? Who are we asking the questions? What's the role of the community in our research? Are they included? Are they excluded? What's their voice? Is the voice there? So I think staying relevant in generating better data is a very beautiful advice with which I think we can close our podcast of today. And I'm so grateful. You are such a wonderful person, Valentina. Thank you so <laughs> Thank much. Thank you. Thank you, you too. And uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about uh, these topics because it is not so common to have uh, this opportunity. So thanks. Okay. Thank you very much. Say then goodbye and maybe we have a second round of podcast with you. <laughs> I hope so. Bye. <laughs> Bye.